I've never seen fire do that at all. Like the wind was intense and, the, you know, the flames were blowing through the air. You could, where one of our machinery sheds was, it burnt to nothing. The fire was jumping probably 50, 60 metres to get in the air and then all of a sudden that, it's a light. Welcome to another episode of From Grassroots. I'm your host, Edwina Bartholomew. When you think of pineapples, I think of summer. But in fact, our pineapple growers are working all year round to deliver that juicy goodness to the supermarkets. And our next guest is no stranger to hard work and sacrifice. As a third generation pineapple farmer, Jake Brooks, along with his twin brother, has seen the highs and very low lows of what it takes to be a grower in this country. In the past 18 months alone, they've battled drought, fire, flood, cyclone, of course, a pandemic. And despite all of this, they just keep on going and going and going. Maybe it's that North Queensland sun. Maybe it's that determination they learnt from their forebears. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome to the podcast Jake Brooks from sunny Queensland. How are you? I'm very, very well. Great. Your name's Jake, but in fact, you're a jack of all trades. Tell us, Jake, what's involved in a day on your farm? What kinds of jobs could you be getting up to? Depends on the day. Yeah, we try and harvest 50 weeks of the year, producing pineapples for Tropical Pines, Golden Circle, local Woolworths. I run the family business with my brother Ryan. He'll take one side if we're harvesting. Usually we try and plant 50 weeks of the year as well with the planting. The way to pick pineapples every week, you really need to be planting nearly every week as well. So we could have a between ground preparation right through to the end result where you harvest the pineapples. That's pretty much a week involved. We run probably 17, 18 staff with our operation. So it takes a bit to deal with, keeps you on your toes. I bet you're running staff. You're running a business, you're organising logistics of, of getting the pineapples out and you're actually in the field harvesting them as well, doing everything. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. You sort of work with your staff, it's the way we, we are, just to keep a general idea of what's going on because weather, weather event in a week can change what a pineapple does. You could have your set forecast from when you initially force a pineapple in April for an October crop that could be brought forward two weeks because of weather events, rain, heat. Yeah, so you sort of got to be every week just checking the crop on top of maintenance. <laughs> you work alongside your twin brother. How does that go? <laughs> they really, they really seem a lot. Like we'll have a chat in the morning. Every week we've got a set amount of work we need to be done, harvesting, planting, clearing spraying uh, general maintenance ryan does a lot of the harvesting side of which is probably a, it's a reasonably big job so we'll just have a chat in the morning and the afternoon pretty much might meet in the middle during the day you'll get a phone call every now and then from him if you need if he needs help but usually he's got it under control and i've got my part under control because of the size we are yeah, you sort of meet, meet of an afternoon to have a chat usually. <laughs> it's great for the two of you that you're able to continue the family business. I imagine that there was a point where you could have gone off and, and done something different. What made you stay? What made you want to be part of the family business so much? We've been in pineapples since we were, could walk, so and we enjoy it. I mean, you could go and try and chase another career, but 
it's a pretty good life. You see the kids pretty much whenever you want. They're always around. We both got two teenage boys now. Both may be interested, but we're not going to push them. <laughs> they, they, they seem to enjoy the farm as well. So, you know, those little things that sort of mean a lot more than chasing. Oh, I mean, there's a lot of personal goals you can achieve in our farming industry. You know, we built the farm up from five, 500 tonne to about 5,500 tonne in the 20 years I've been involved in it. But prior to that, Dad was running a, an operation and things were different 20 years ago than they are now. It's changed. The harvesting side of it's totally different. More mechanicalised harvesters, detopping harvesters, everything used to be done by hand. It was a lot a lot harder work 20 years ago than it is, you know, it's still tough out in the environment, but now it's it's changed so much in 20 years. It's amazing what's... The different varieties of pineapples that we're growing now. Traditionally, 20 years ago when I came to the farm, I was a 17-year-old, didn't know a lot, just wanted to be involved in it. Predominantly, it was a, the Golden Circle canned. That was the big part of pineapples in the whole industry from what I could gather from that long ago. And 30% of the industry got out in five years. So we, mm. we, we hung it out. And then these fresh fruit varieties came on board and we've tried them. It's t- it takes a long time to get in the gist of the cycle of the pineapple, the new varieties. They're very different to the traditional smooth cayenne. Jake, what was it like growing up on a pineapple farm? Because that sounds to me like the, the quintessential Queensland childhood. Yeah, we got up to a bit of mischief being kids. You had a fair bit of area to ride motorbikes and camp out. And we worked. We went and helped driving tractors. You thought you were pretty... Being a seven, eight-year-old, you thought you were pretty amazing driving 100-horsepower tractors around the paddock, you know, and things like that. So it was great. I really enjoyed it. We didn't never really moved away, I mean, because we decided we wanted to grow pineapples. It's not something you can just change, oh, I think I'll grow pineapples today. It's, <laughs> it takes a lot. <laughs> I mean, you think you might get it right, but then something will go wrong and you'll go, oh, well, I don't know what I did there. But anyway, we'll go back through the records and see what's happened. So, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. But our sister, she, it wasn't her thing. She lived, loves the Melbourne lifestyle. So she moved down there and was married and family. We stayed and we've still got the original farm. I think it's 69, 70 years next year, I think. Wow. Um, our grandfather started it. So it's been going a fair while. It's a pretty amazing thing to be working the same land that your grandfather did 70 years ago. Yeah, the original farm, it's pretty close to the to the heart, that block. That was our family home too. And we had an old house that Dad grew up in when he was a kid, but it was an older place that was there before. They, when they originally purchased it all that time ago, when the bushfires were on, it was gone in a matter of seconds. Like, it's like, oh, well, that's gone. We can't do a lot, of, you know. So things like that disappeared in the bushfires, but you sort of clean it up and... We've kept a few monuments from it and put them around the farm and things like that to sort of keep it a bit traditional. Jake, let's talk about that because the bushfires particularly for your area, for your property, for your produce were devastating. The sheer velocity of the way it came through was, you know, it was 50 kilometres from our, our property and within three hours we were totally burnt out. So it didn't reach our second property which we bought off a farmer that retired it didn't get that far but it got within yeah, 10 kilometers of that as well and that's another 20k 
from the original property. So yeah, it was pretty scary. We're not talking here about a property that's deep in the bush. This is not normally land that burns. No, it was a cyclone that hit us before. There was still a lot of debris around that people had for the the bush, sort of the mountains and that behind all the cleared country. But I've never seen fire do that at all. The wind was intense and, you know, the flames were blowing through the air. You could, where one of our machinery sheds was that burnt to nothing, the fire was jumping probably 50, 60 metres to get in the air and then all of a sudden that it's a light. And, I mean, it was just so intense, you know, scary. But when you're in the middle of it, you're not really thinking of that. You're sort of trying to save houses and a bit of gear. But we lost 60% of our machinery got burnt. And yeah, you rebuild from that. It's just probably lost 200,000 pineapples that were nearly ready to harvest. They burnt. <laughs> so... I've never seen that before. The olden days, they used to harvest the second crop, your return crop, which you call it, and then they'd spray it out with a chemical that made it die off and they'd burn them then, but not plants that were still had produce on them. It's something that most of us will never, thankfully, have to experience. But no, what is that like when you're standing there knowing that you're absolutely powerless to stop it and it's absolutely decimating what you've been working on for years yeah oh there's you're sort of just in shock we were in shock for a couple of days Ron and I and dad like because it was locked out we were in there we stayed uh Ryan and I but the wives and the kids they stayed in your tomb but that night and late afternoon when it was all occurring you sort of just in a sh- bit of shock and watching the flames moved so fast. It was oh, 10, 20k an hour in a matter of minutes, you know, like all of a sudden it hit our area of Bungandara and it was three parts of the way up that road, which is a fairly big area so fast. And then the next day when you see what's happened, that's when it, you're like, wow, well, that's not, not ideal, but we move on. It's just, it is what it is. You can't do anything about it. No one died, which is the main thing, you know, everyone was sort of, safe but there was not a thing anyone could do the fireys did a fantastic job to save people's houses i mean a lot of sheds were lost but at least people could go home you know it wasn't the fact that everything was gone it was everything around and we'd had a five-month drought too so there was with low rainfall that year so it wasn't there wasn't a lot of um, green grass anywhere so it was pretty much perfect conditions for a bushfire and that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, you're dealing with Mother Nature each and every day to get the perfect pineapple, but with that comes drought and yeah. fires and where you are, cyclones. Yeah, we've had one of those. That was an experience too. <laughs> that, was, that, that was another episode in the, yeah, in the pineapple game. <laughs> we got over it. It was, I think the bushfires were worse because everything was destroyed, whereas the cyclone... A shed blew down. We still had all of our machinery. We could still function. Once that was cleaned up, it was a couple of days and you were back going again. But the bushfires, that was 12 months. We've only just probably recovered, you know, rebuilt a bit from the bushfires now. And that's yeah, nearly two years ago. And then you throw a pandemic on top of all of it. Yeah, I think I'd rather the bushfires than this pandemic. People not being able to go shopping, it's making pineapples hard to sell. But the guys are doing a good job at Tropicals. They're doing their best. Okay, Jake, just hold there for a second while we catch up with Liam. Hello, Sally. It's Liam from Woolworths here. So excited to talk to you. Sally, 
where can we find you in the store? I work in Fresh Convenience, so I look after dairy, the meat, the milk, so most of the cold stuff. Okay, during your time at Woolies, what's one thing that you've seen customers go crazy for? Probably the caramel chocolate when it was a limited edition a couple of years ago. They were crazy. They went crazy for that. I love like a good caramel, my favourite chocolate. <laughs> So after 20 years, you have to go into a lot of cool rooms and stuff. Have you found out a way to stay warm in the cool rooms? Do you wear an extra jacket in the milk fridge or do you just go in there wearing your T-shirt? Oh, not a T-shirt, man. Like, I think I've got like 10 T-shirts on. I'm like a polar bear. <laughs> My time in store, I used to wear gloves. I had two jackets on, two jumpers. I had heaps. Oh, yeah. No, it's crazy. Now, Sally, before we go, uh, let's settle this debate. Does pineapple belong on pizza? I think it does. Because I reckon a barbecue chicken pizza with pineapple, that's what makes it a really good pizza. And a Hawaiian pizza. I think it does. Okay. I think it does. I'm going to drop a bombshell here. I'm not a huge fan of pizzas, but I just thought I would throw that one in there because I know oh, that's really? a heated <laughs> debate. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, that's okay. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much, Sally. And Edwina, back to you. Thanks, Liam. I'm here with Jake Brooks, pineapple farmer from tropical North Queensland. Pineapples, I think of as a summer fruit. I just purchased my first pineapple of the season the other day and I was so delighted that summer was on the way. But you're actually at it all year round and you can get them all year round too. Yeah, the 7350 variety that predominantly is a popular pineapple now, it's my favourite. The pineapples have got a few prickles on them. And when you're harvesting, they're a really soft plant. So when you're picking, it's really comfortable. <laughs> and they're the best eating one too. You can All year round, they're great. Wintertime, they shine. That's what they'll develop for a winter, a winter eating pineapple. And they've really, they've got their challenges, but so does all, all the three varieties that we grow. There's a real jeopardy to farming, isn't it? Because it can really just turn in a matter of days from a really successful crop to something that you can't even get out of the ground yeah people think you get them out of the ground you don't they're not out of the ground they're actually grown you actually harvest them the little top that goes with the pineapple that we chop off that's what you plant the pineapple comes out of the heart as a hang on so it's upside down in the ground no no the actual top that we plant that goes in the ground facing up with like the crown we grow them for 13 months and they that yeah hopefully that's a mature plant the age was then we'll dependent on the time of year we'll force those for a certain week in a month six months later we'll have our harvester come in so you actually pick the pineapple snap it off the bush cut the top off and that goes on the out on your headland we call it and once they're harvested, we'll pick those tops up and hopefully have got ready to have our plant crew come back through and plant them back into the ground. So 13 months to grow a pineapple. 13 months and then you force it and five between five and six months after that you're harvesting. Wow, that is, that's a very, very long time. I had no idea. You don't think about it. You think, oh, yeah, we planted that patch in 2020. The stuff we're planting in 2020 will be harvested next year, so we're probably about six months off. So what will that mean for the the crop that was affected by the bushfires? Are we going to have a a shortage of pineapple soon or you are able to replant? No, that's all finished. That's because of where we've developed two different areas 
I think we grow uh, five, 600 acres of pineapple now, is either under pineapple or getting ready to go under pineapple. We've got that spread, like what you call a spread of the crop, so you're harvesting. We try and harvest about 25, 30,000 pineapples a week for the fresh market. It doesn't always work that way. Sometimes you'll have a clash or the weather will get to you and you might have a double that or hopefully not. But we sort of try and do between 20 and 30,000 pieces of fruit every week to the market. With each of our growers, there always seems to be a part of the day or a time in the day when they're able to get out into the fields and just have a quiet moment to themselves and have a think and perhaps reflect on what they've done or that's or, in the afternoon when the staff finish so you can have a beer while you're looking around yeah, well, tell, tell us what what time of the day is it for you and 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 what do you think about in those moments well, traditionally we start the harvester is started at 10 to 6 in the morning or we'll start a bit earlier just purely for the heat factor in the summer and we'll do a nine and a quarter hour day the guys will have their lunch obviously and things like that but we harvest for about eight and a half hours a day uh, and then yeah the guys will finish and you'll either be stuck driving a truck of an afternoon you get back to the farm and then that's when you reevaluate the next day. You'll meet with Ryan and pack an esky, go for a drive, have a bit of a look, sort of earn it by the time you, you do <laughs> you do that. But you don't do the small things. It's not you've got to keep it fun. Otherwise, I think things would get stale. My 20 odd years of doing it, if it's not fun, it's if you're not enjoying it, it's not. You sort of lose interest, I think, and then the, the finer details slip away. So, has your mum got many family uh, pineapple recipes she's passing down? No, she's got a couple. I haven't really seen <laughs> any for a while. <laughs> when you look at them every day, people think it's oh, that's amazing. I'm like, oh, I'm a bit over it. I don't really I eat them. <laughs> you eat them every day when you cut because you've got to cut and test and bricks your sugar levels and things like that to make sure they're ready. So I'll probably eat a slice of pineapple every second day. They're great for you. Some people are like, I, I like you got to have them on pizza. Where do you stand on that debate? Hey, you've got to have ham, cheese and pineapple pizza. I think it's tradition Hawaiian pizza. So a lot of people probably won't agree with that, but you've got to throw it out there. Yeah. What do you say to those people that think that pineapple on a pizza is just it's a crime? Everyone's got their opinion. Um, <laughs> I think I think you should have it on there. It's, it's been around for long enough. I think you should. Everyone's got their opinion. <laughs> I agree. I, I'm yeah. in the pineapple on pizza camp. Don't you worry about that. How do you cut a pineapple? What's the best way to actually physically cut it when you're at home? Depends. Depends on how you want to eat it. We just, you usually just chop the the top and the bottom take them out and then sit it up as you would if it was grown and slice around it, cut the skin off and then just chop it into slices. That's what we do. There's a few videos on the Tropical Pines website of different ways to do it, but that's how I do it. <laughs> what about the bit in the middle that's a bit harder to chew? Do you cut that off or leave it on? The core. Some people don't like it, but it's actually quite good for you, the core. It's got a lot of vitamin C in that. That's where the pineapple's grown. I like chewing on it. What about the pineapples in store that have the head cut off for you is it better to buy it with the head we use the tops i call them tops the heads for that's our planting source that's our plant source so that's why they're they're not on the pineapple but if you want one with a top and you're interested in putting one in a pot plant it will grow if you chop it off and put it in the right put the pineapple the right way am i going to have to wait 18 months though for it to grow probably (laughs) and the rest of it and what does your dad think about all that the two of you have achieved there? Oh, he's still quite active around the farm. He does our local 
we supply uh, local Woolworths here in Yapoon, Rockhampton, and he takes up a fair bit of his time with that sort of side of it. He's a bit older now. You've got to look after him. He's pushing 70, so he's, you know, he's, but he's still quite active because we don't work at the original farm all the time. It's a lot smaller than the, the Ingray Road farm. He's sort of pretty much full-time down there, ploughing them, slashing, spraying them, just general whatever needs to be done. He's, you know, he's there, so he's got a pretty full-time job in between fishing and things like that, whatever he does. <laughs> <laughs> whatever he does when I'm pushing time. 70, I'll be, be someone else's problem every day, I think. I'll <laughs> be around to annoy him, I think. Well, Jake, as you say, there's never an end to that list of jobs, so we better let you go uh, no, that's keep fine. tackling it. Thanks for having me. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for talking to us. Thanks, guys. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to rate, like and subscribe to this episode wherever you get your podcasts from. Until next time, thanks for listening to From Grassroots. I'm Edwina Bartholomew.